Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 111 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading the first chapter of Job today, and our focus is on how we can worship when tragedy hits, plus where does Satan live? So each day we read one chapter of the Bible and discuss it. Five days a week it's a New Testament chapter, two days a week it's an Old Testament chapter, and today we are, of course, in the Old Testament. Welcome to new listeners in Al-Kahira, Egypt, parts unknown China, Madhya Pradesh, India, Dallas, Texas, St. Louis, Missouri, and South Bend, Indiana. As always, I want to remind you to check out our website, Bible2021.com. You can contact us there and also view a transcript of each episode. We'll try to keep it to a shorter episode today to make up for our longest episode of the year yesterday. Our first question, where does Satan live? Now, if you grew up watching American cartoons in the 70s through the 90s, you'll possibly think that Satan lives and rules in hell, where he is like the ultimate authority rolling on his throne with a pitchfork and torturing all of the sinners that God sends to him. Eh, no, that's cartoon theology. It's not the Bible. In fact, we see some degree of evidence in the Old Testament that Satan even had access to the heavens and may even have lived there. In our passage today, Job chapter 1, and as well as Job chapter 2, we read verses like this. One day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. That's interesting. So Satan had access to heaven. And we read in Ephesians 2, verse 2, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Well, in the Bible, the lower heavens are sort of where we live, the air around us. So apparently, Satan has been cast out of God's upper heavenly realms and now rules in the lower air heavenly realms. In Revelation chapter 12, we are told there that the dragon or Satan tries to kill the mother of Jesus, but God rescues her, and that the dragon, or Satan, then goes to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves in the present day. We're basically on a battlefield, and Satan, the dragon, is hunting us. We read that in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith. Now that's scary. Kind of bad news, but 1 Peter 5, 9 and 10 gives us some good news when it says, Now the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will personally restore establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. So in Job, our chapter today, we see that cartoon caricatures of Satan, the accuser, tell us very little real theological truth about him. We should get our theology from God's word and not cartoons. Let's read our passage and then we're going to go deeper. Job chapter 1 Verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. 
His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven, it burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another one came and reported. The Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. So Job is visited with a terrible tragedy, losing his wealth, his servants, and his precious children all in one day. And Job's reaction to this is jarring and fascinating. He doesn't curse God. He worships. Job 1.20 is our verse of the day. It's maybe one of the most shocking passages in the Bible. It says, Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down on the ground and worshiped. Job's response to this unspeakable tragedy is to worship. Now, how is such a response even possible? And let me say this. Job's worship was not blissfully unaware of the tragedy that was visited upon him. If you read the whole book, you will see that Job had many questions of God, many lamentations. He was utterly and completely heartbroken and very confused about why all these catastrophes happened. But never once does he sin against God in his questions and statements. So what can we learn from Job? Well, I guess from the whole book, we can learn that tragedy happens to good people, that God owes us no explanation, that God is good even when circumstances are bad, that understanding the events of this world is beyond the wisest of us, and that it is possible to go through unspeakable tragedy 
and stay faithful to God, even though we are confused, cut and bleeding from a thousand wounds. Spurgeon helps us to see the wisdom in Job's actions, and he says, Now indeed was Job great, surely no man besides the Son of Man in Gethsemane ever rose to a greater height of resignation. Instead of cursing God as Satan said he would, he blesses the Lord with all his heart. How thoroughly beaten the evil spirit must have felt. May the Holy Spirit help each one of us to triumph over him in like manner. Neither in his heart nor in his words did he offend. He was taught the sacred wisdom of resignation, and in nothing was he displeased with his God. So when we go through tragedy, should we put on a happy face and smile and and pretend like everything's okay? Is it wrong to be sorrowful and mournful in the midst of tragedy? Does it demonstrate like a lack of faith? Not at all, says Spurgeon. He says Job was very much troubled, and he did not try to hide the outward signs of his sorrow. A man of God is not expected to be a stoic. The grace of God takes away the heart of stone out of his flesh, but it does not turn his heart into a stone. The Lord's children are the subjects of tender feelings. When they have to endure the rod, they feel the pain of its strokes, and Job felt the blows that fell upon him. Do not blame yourself if you are conscious of pain and grief, and do not ask to be made hard and callous. That is not the method by which grace works. It makes us strong to bear the trial, but we do have to bear it. It gives us patience and submission, not stoicism. We feel and we benefit by the feeling, and there is no sin in the feeling, for in our text we are expressly told of Job's mourning. In all this Job sinned not, though he was the great mourner. I think I might truly, says Spurgeon, call him the chief mourner of Scripture, yet there was no sin in his mourning. Some there are who say that when we are heavy of heart, we are necessarily in a wrong spirit, but that is not so. The Apostle Peter said, If need be, we are sometimes in heaviness through manifold trials, but he does not imply that that sort of heaviness is wrong. Amen. So there's nothing wrong with mourning when we go through tragedy. It does not demonstrate sin nor lack of faith. Let's close with our memory verse for April, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So friends, if you are going through tragedy today, mourn, but mourn knowing that God is on the throne and his love for you is great. Good day to you and Godspeed.